Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho Podcast, aka the best orthopedic podcast out there that you all share with all your friends, boom, and coworkers. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Cole, and I'm accompanied here by my co-host, uh, the late, great Dr. Fitz. It's so good to have you guys back with us again today. Oh, yeah, and we got another good episode in for the day. And, uh, you know, recently we just got a little a little bump up or a little slight promotion in PGY levels. And I think Dr. Fitz here is now on a trauma. So how, how's uh, how's trauma treating you? How are you liking it as a as your new with your newfound ranking? You know, are you are you allowed to do some more things in the OR? What's going on? Oh, yeah, man. Um, definitely enjoying it. I, I purposely picked trauma during the busy season guys this is trauma season this is what it's known as summertime even in even in the covid era this is still the trauma season baby it's uh when it when it gets hot out and people want to get outside and drink and drive and uh ride their motorcycles without helmets yep. and uh you know shoot each other up yeah let's not forget <laughs> that <laughs> hey that is it, it really uh takes a, a level you know trauma one center to to new heights because we're, we're busy every day. So I really enjoy that. It's a, a lot of work to go around and I'm learning new things every day. I almost feel like an intern all over again. Every, almost every day. It's like, you know, you sit here and study and you do what you can, but you just realize every time that you, it's still things that you don't know, but I think things get better with time and repetition. And good thing is you have some good leaders that's right there with you. That's guiding you through it. So it's, it's all working itself out. How about you, Cody, man? I heard they finally letting you, uh, Stop uh, only, you know, babysitting the medical students and letting you do a little bit more real you know. orthopedic work. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I started out this year on pediatrics, so it's been pretty good. Um, you know, our, it's it's interesting with peds, the amount of, they kind of work on everything, right? So you'll see some oncology and you'll see some sports and you'll see some spine, you know, so it's good kind of getting my hands dirty and uh, and and seeing all this different type of pathology. I think just this morning we had a, uh, supercondylar humerus fracture, type four. You know, me and you were texting a little bit earlier about we, we, uh, we that. We went back, back and forth about that. <laughs> anyway, I guess we're not gonna we're gonna we're not gonna do it on air, but it, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, everything's good. You know, everything's good. Can't complain. Just here to learn. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's get into the show, man. We we probably can go back and forth about this all day, but I'm really proud of you, man. You found long learn where the bones are, so that's that's a start. <laughs> this is all the right. first step, right? That's the first step. All right, good deal. So, guys, we have another great show for you guys. We we have a, uh, you know, somewhat high-yield topic. It's high-yield in the fact that it can get you a lot of points. A lot of these board exams, uh, the test is somewhat weighted, and people tend to to miss questions on basic science, and that's what we have uh, this topic on today. Basic science is about how to work up lytic lesions. We have a great guest, Dr. Gregory Dumson. He's going to come in uh, and, and tell us all about this. He did his residency at the Virginia Commonwealth University Health Systems and his fellowship in musculoskeletal oncology at the University of Florida. He is uh, now a VCU residency program director, and also he's an awesome uh, guest on our show, and we, we were definitely excited to have him. We learned a lot, and I think you guys will too. Enjoy the episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. My name is Greg Domson. I'm an orthopedic oncologist. 
Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to do it. It's my first podcast, so uh, always good to have new experiences. I'm an orthopedic oncologist in Richmond, Virginia, um, at Virginia Commonwealth University. I'm also the program director there. Been the program director for almost five years now, and I was the assistant program director for about five years before that. I also do uh, orthopedic oncology for the University of Virginia in Charlottesville one day a week. So between those two centers, I have most of the state of Virginia covered, except for Northern Virginia, as far as treating the patients with orthopedic oncologic conditions, whether it be primary or or metastatic and benign as well. On the side of the day, like we, we really don't get a whole lot of uh, oncologists to come on to the show, so I'm really glad to have you here with us, Dr. Thompson. I really appreciate that. That's my pleasure. I, I, you'll find that I don't have a problem talking, so you can interrupt me anytime <laughs> you want, if, if you want, and, and I'm happy to talk about whatever you want. We can talk about residency issues. We can talk about uh, clinical issues. So Okay. We usually do things... Um, on most of our shows, we start off, we just ask a few simple questions just so our listeners can kind of get to know our uh, our guest. And this is a question I'm just kind of curious about myself. Uh, with you being an oncologist, is your practice pretty much set up to where that's the only thing you're seeing? Or do you also have some other uh, pathology that comes come through your practice as well? So at this point in my career, I've, I've I finished my fellowship at the University of Florida, Gainesville, Florida. You know, which is the Annie King Fellowship, and um, I finished there in 2006. So I've been out now 13 years, and my practice now is almost exclusively tumors. Now I get patients sent to me where they're trying to rule out a tumor or trying to make sure there's not more going on, et cetera, et cetera. So I see a decent spectrum of orthopedic conditions where a tumor might have been found incidentally, or they want to make sure it's not a tumor. Um, but basically my entire practice now is orthopedic oncology. When I first got out of the practice 13 years ago, I took general call. So, I mean, I was on call for level and trauma center, you know, five times a month. Um, and so I did everything I did. I did trauma. I did total joints. I did scopes. I did whatever would walk in the door trying to build my practice. Now I had a senior partner who was doing tumors and was the established guy in the state of Virginia. And he would feed me some cases, but people really wanted to go see him. I was a, I was, I had no name at that point. So I, I did general orthopedics and, and trauma, basically. And over the 13 years, I've transitioned to pretty much all tumors. And, you know, that brings me to the next question I was going to ask. You know, to find an orthopedic oncologist is rare. And, well, at least we don't see it as often, you know, as far as when I was a med student or as a resident, and interviewing. And so what got you, like what interests you or made you want to choose oncology out of all the different fields? Yeah, it's a, it's a common question. Um, and, you know, back when I was young, like you guys, I played a lot of sports and, and, and I had injuries and I had that kind of classic, you know, background getting orthopedics. And I always thought I would be a team doctor. I always thought I would do sports medicine and and work with a team and stay close to the sports world. And I hated sports. I, I didn't like it. Um, it. It's it. 
I can remember standing in front of the OR board, you know, one day back when we had a chalkboard, you know, like a, uh, you know, like a dry erase board. And, and I was on my sports rotation and we had three ACLs on and the tumor room had a distal femur and an iron nail and a soft tissue mass resection that day. And I looked at the board and thought to myself, I'm going to be bored silly doing these ACLs today. I wish I was in that room. <laughs> and that was, and that was pretty much the end of it. I decided that day that I was going to do tumors. And, you know, the reason there's lots of reasons I like tumors, but from a surgical standpoint, it's a, it's a wide variety of things. Um, you know, I, I, we operate almost everywhere. I don't do any spine. There are some uh, tumor docs who will do spine, which means they operate everywhere. But I operate from the tips of the fingers, you know, to the brachial plexus and the scapula. And I operate from the tips of the toes to, you know, hemipelvectomies. So it's a wide variety of surgeries, whether it be soft tissue or bone. I I see patients of every age. My all-time record is I operated on a nine-month-old and a 99-year-old in the same week. So. So I, I get bored easily, and I like variety, and so tumors was a good fit for me. Some people like to, you know, knock out 10 total joints in a day, and they get satisfaction from efficiency and, and, um, and, and money and, and other things that go along with that, and that never really did it for me. Hmm. So from a surgical standpoint, I like the variety. Uh, I like it. I like it. I hope people that are listening that are that haven't thought about Ankh will consider that or I guess kind of hear what you say. Maybe it would have inspired some people who weren't thinking about it today with your uh, with your answer right there. I think that was a great answer. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of the residents, I mean, I have I have an upper level and a middle level resident on my service at all times and they love our rotation. Um, And and I've had a lot of residents go into tumors. So since I've been doing this. I've had at least four, I've had four residents do tumor um, since I've been back. And one of them is coming back to join me as my junior partner. And they like the, the re, they like the rotation. They like the variety. It's tough to talk to patients and, and it's tough to deal with, you know, life threatening or metastatic conditions where it's palliative or you're just extending life. And, a lot of the residents are like, I really love this. And then they, they are in the room with me for a bad conversation. They say, I don't want to do it. Right. Um, and, and I get that. Those type of conversations are not for everybody. And, and those type of life decisions and, and, and life sort of altering events are not for all residents. So you got to take the good with the bad. You, you can't just be a tumor surgeon where you're a technician. You still have to be a physician and you have to deal with patient issues and families and all that other stuff, which a lot of people don't like, understandably. Right. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, so what, what I wanted to do was to go ahead and transition and kind of at least start off with a general case presentation and then kind of have you take us through the workup. So we just made up a case here. You know, let's just say we have a 66-year-old female. Uh, she came to clinic. She was presented with left arm pain. She had an obvious deformity. And all she was doing, she just pushed up on her chair and, and just to stand up. And she was found to have a humerus fracture. And then on the x-ray, we see a lytic lesion. Kind of, where do we go from here? How do we start to work up this condition, like work up lytic lesions and different types of lesions? Uh, like, where do we go from here? So, you know, this is, I teach the review course for tumors and Maine and 
And what I tell them is there's two things when we talk about stuff. One is to get questions right on the test. Okay. And, and I get it. We have to pass tests as we move through life. And the other thing is how do we take care of patients and how do we deal with real world stuff? So when it comes to test questions, I'll try to warn you, but mostly we'll be talking about kind of clinical real world stuff. And, and this is a real patient. Okay. So I get this patient on Mondays all the time. Something yeah. happens over the weekend. They're closing their car door. They're doing something relatively minor and they, and they sustain a path fracture and the humerus is a common place to get it. And they, and they come in my clinic on Monday and they have a sling on and they're 66 years old and they just probably retired from whatever job they did. And they're, they got a trip to Greece planned in a couple of weeks and they're wondering if they can go on the trip. Okay. Right. And, and really the way I look at these, and, I, and I'm not going to take credit for this. This is a, this is an algorithm that I learned from Frank Brassica, who's a, He's a very famous and, and great orthopedic surgeon. Uh, he's now retired. He worked at Johns Hopkins. And the differential for a lytic lesion in someone over the age of 40, it used to be over the age of 50, but we now have younger people getting bad things. The differential is metastatic disease, metastatic disease, metastatic disease, <laughs> yeah. myeloma, lymphoma, and everything else. So there's one thing anybody remembers from this talk. It's Mets, Mets, Mets myeloma, lymphoma, and everything else, okay? Mm -hmm. It's like real estate. You know, metastatic disease is going to predominate far and away. And, and that's just because the number of people in this country that are diagnosed with, with primary carcinomas that can metastasize to bone. And even ones that don't, you know, I, I have patients with colon cancer who have bone mets. We have patients with um, you know, melanoma, they get bone mass. But when you talk about the five primaries that go to bone, breast, lung, kidney, prostate, and thyroid, those five paired midline organs, they're all paired midline organs. There's so many cases of those being diagnosed every year. And, and, and we're able to treat these better and better, but they still live longer and they get metastatic disease. And sometimes they will present with metastatic disease. And it's a sad day when the patient comes in and they're retired and looking forward to all those benefits of retirement. And they present with a metastatic path fracture, like you just described. You know, the first thing I do when I, when, when I see them is you, you got to ask them the appropriate question. You also got to look at the patient. <laughs> I say that because I've had this exact patient come into my office on a Monday morning with a path fracture of the humerus. When I walked in the room, she could barely breathe, and her trachea was on the other side of her neck. And she actually had a, a primary lung mass, lung carcinoma, that had pushed her trachea so far over to the side of her neck, she could barely breathe. Oh, man. And, and, and literally, I was hoping she wasn't going to die in the office. Um, you know, she, she passed away that week. Um, wow. So the first thing you've got to do is look at your patient and make sure you're not dealing with something terrible. And you can tell a smoker when you look at one, and mm -hmm. you can tell a smoker who's sick when you look at one. My my assistant, who who just retired last year, used to come out of a room after she'd meet a patient before I went in and would say, oh, they have lung cancer. She could look at the patient and tell they have lung cancer. And so look at your patients, and, and you know, you have to get some, some, some obvious, you know, pertinent past medical history when it comes to, to a path fracture. And, you know, do you have a history of a primary? And they might say, well, you know, I had kidney cancer, but it was 15 years ago. I mean, they cured me of that. Well, guess what? They might not have. Um, 
You know, I had breast cancer 10 years ago, but they did my mastectomy, and, and they told me five years ago I was cancer-free. And, and they may, of course, say I smoked this many years or, or um, you know, give you stuff that's helpful. I have right. a history of melanoma. So uh, asking the appropriate questions and doing your doing your best, trying to try, just trying to get the past medical history is good, and just give your patients a good look. Um, that's the first thing. And I'll tell you, you can normally, more than the vast majority of the time, figure out what's going on without just from that. Just okay. from talking to the patient, you can normally figure out what's going on, actually. But but certainly, then you want to you want to move to physical exam and. You know, I'm not doing breast exams on women in my office. I ask them, have you, have you been keeping up with your mammograms? If they say no, I say, have you been keeping up with your self-breast exam? If they say no, I'm getting nervous, right? Right. But I don't think I've ever done a breast exam um, in the office or not recently. I've certainly done them um, uh, when patients are asleep or if they are admitted to the hospital with a pathologic fracture. I'll make sure we do a breast exam um, while we have it in the operating room. I've been fooled once on a guy who had a who had a Santa Claus beard, and he ended up having thyroid cancer. Mm. Um, and so he had a thyroid mass that you could palpate, but he had a big beard, and we missed it. Right. But I'm not palpating a lot of people's necks. I mean, I look at them. If, if they have a mass in their neck or a thyroid border or something's going on, it makes me concerned. But, you know, basically on the physical exam and a past fracture of a humerus, I want to make sure that their hand works and they don't have a radial nerve palsy, basically, and make sure you document that. So as far as radiologic workup, you're going to want to get an x-ray of the whole arm. When you get that x-ray of the whole arm, pay attention to the lung. Make sure you don't miss a lung, a lung mass on a shoulder x-ray. You may want to get a chest x-ray while you have them in the office, especially if they have a history of smoking or you're really nervous about a lung cancer primary. As far as your lab workup, remember your differential. It's mets, 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 myeloma, lymphoma, and everything else. You want to give them a good myeloma workup if you have the ability to do some labs. Right. If it's a man, you may want to send a PSA if no, if no one's looking at that. I'll tell you, most men who are 66, someone's following their PSA because prostate cancer is being looked after. Yeah. So I might send a PSA, and then typically I send labs for myeloma. And my myeloma labs are going to be a CDC to look if they're anemic. I'm going to get a serum protein electrophoresis and a urine protein electrophoresis. Make sure you get both of them because you can have a normal SPEP and still have myeloma. The UPEP is actually a better test for it. You can send a SED rate if you want to, um, and you can certainly send a basic metabolic, mostly to look for hypercalcemia. Then anybody with a metastatic fracture could have METs and you can't see them all over and be hypercalcemic. Right. I have had one patient who I sent for the labs. They were driving home. I got the labs back. They were so hypercalcemic. I called them on the phone and said, turn the car around. We're admitting you to the hospital. Yeah. Um, and we had to treat them for hypercalcemia, which, as you know, is a, is a life-threatening, you know, kind of electrolyte abnormality in and of itself. So that's happened to me once. Right. Do you, do you ever get, like, urinalysis or, or thyroid hormones at all? I normally just get the UPAP. I don't do just a normal old UA unless they got something else going on. And um, I I typically don't start working them up for thyroid unless they have a mask or unless it looks like thyroid on the frozen. Okay. But I don't, I don't routinely send thyroid labs. 
and, and how often are you doing, you know, more advanced imaging such as like CT scans of like CT abdomen, pelvis or chest? So, so that's your next step. Okay. So let's pretend we have this lady in the office. It's Monday. She's got a half fracture of her humerus. She's got a lytic lesion. I know I'm operating on her. It's, it's highly unlikely that I'm not going to want to treat that non-operatively, right? You're not going to put it in its army. And so mm-hmm. let's say we send all the labs off and they're normal. So we know she doesn't have myeloma. Her SPEP and her UPEP are normal. While I have her in the office that day, I'm signing her up for the next day. Okay, so I have OR time Tuesday. I'm in the clinic Monday. I say, we're taking to the OR tomorrow. The first thing I'm going to do is an incisional bias. Yeah, so I'm signing that patient up in the clinic that day for surgery, right? So they may... They may come with a bone scan. They may come with other studies like CT scans, but sometimes they don't. But mostly I'm concerned with getting them a diagnosis and treating the pathologic fracture. So, and here's the thing, you know, insurance companies nowadays are painful. They may not let you do those studies without a diagnosis. So you might say, well, I got a path fracture. They need a bone scan. They say, well, what's your diagnosis? They want a tissue diagnosis. So, I'm taking that patient to the OR the next day. We're doing an incisional biopsy first. And I'm doing an incision in line with the planned sarcoma resection. Mm. Okay. Sarcoma is in the bottom of the list. It's that's 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 myeloma, lymphoma, and everything else. And so chondrosarcoma, um, MFH of bone, that's all in the everything else category. It's super, super rare to get a sarcoma, but we're still going to, we still have an isolated lesion. The patient doesn't have a history of a primary tumor. We've ruled out myeloma. The patient theoretically could still have a sarcoma right there. And so we want to treat the patient as if we're doing a biopsy for a sarcoma. Okay. You still have to follow all of your sarcoma biopsy rules. All right. In line with the planned sarcoma resection. Mm-hmm. Okay. So typically, if it's a proximal humerus, for instance, you know, you're going to make an incision that's kind of a, it's like a, you know, a delta pack that extends down the arm if you're going to resect the entire proximal humerus. So, so you make an incision there over the lytic lesion. This is in the operating room. We break into the lesion. You know, I normally just use a little curette, and then I use a pituitary, and I get some of that tissue. I walk that tissue myself up to the, op, to the pathology lab, and we do a frozen section. Patients asleep in the operating room. And based on that frozen, I'm going to decide what to do next. And if the frozen is carcinoma, if they're glands at all, the patient's getting sick, probably a nail. If it looks like plasma cells, which we don't think it's going to be because our, our labs were negative, and it's a plasma cell neoplasm or myeloma, we're putting a nail in it. If it looks like a bunch of lymphocytes and it's a lymphoma, we're going to put a nail in it. If it's we don't know what the heck it is, or it looks like a sarcoma, then we're stopping. And we're, and we're getting them enough tissue to run the tests they need to run to get us a tissue diagnosis. Okay? That happens rarely. Because the top five things in the differential, mets, 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 myeloma, lymphoma, are all getting nailed. Okay? They're all getting fixed. If it's anything else on the list, like a sarcoma or... Um, or we just don't know what we're looking at, and it looks spindly or it looks worrisome for being a sarcoma, we're stopping, we're getting all the material we need. Because putting a nail down that arm is not the right thing to do if it's a sarcoma. 
Right. Can you kind of go just, over that? Which ones, you know, which ones that would be something that we would like the different different types of uh, surgeries? I know ones like the nailing. I know sometimes you have to do an excision. Like which ones do we need to do excisions for versus which ones can we just, you know, fix primarily with a, with a nail? So if you're in the list, met, met, met myeloma or lymphoma, a lot of times you don't have to do much with the primary. Meaning, let's say it's a myeloma. Myelomas can bleed, so if you open them up, it's going to bleed a lot. And myelomas are very sensitive to radiation. So you just put the nail down and you treat them with post-op radiation, and you're probably going to get a good response. If it's lymphoma, they get great response to, to chemotherapy and radiation if you need it. So you just put a nail down that one. Breast cancer does well with radiation and the chemotherapy. Prostate cancer does well. The purely lytic ones like lung, prostate, and thyroid, you're, you can't count on the, the same type of response to radiation or their you know, adjuvant chemotherapy. So those are the ones you may want to think about scraping out and adding cement as an adjuvant or plating um, or doing something more aggressive to treat. But you know, talking about how to how to treat metastatic disease from a nuts and bolts standpoint is a whole other podcast. So you'll have to bring me back to do that one. Okay. Well, let me ask since you kind of mentioned radiation, when when are the times that you know just kind of early on, uh, probably after surgery, that you're going to have you will have to use radiation? You can almost count on it. If they haven't, if they haven't had radiation already, and some people come in with a known primary and a pathologic fracture, and they've tried radiating at first to avoid a surgery. The patient comes in, like we're talking about tonight, unknown primary metastatic disease, pathologic fracture, the odds are overwhelming they're going to get radiation. Okay. Even if it's lung cancer or, or kidney cancer or thyroid, you're probably going to radiate them after surgery. And so along with, you know, choosing our treatment plan, um, you know, whether it's radiate or not, what, I guess, when do you factor in, you know, the, their life expectancy and their, just their, you know, level of activity and things like that. Some of the other factors that, that kind of go in that you should keep in mind when formulate formulating these treatment plans. Well, you know, there, there's kind of some basic rules and, and one is you, um, you want to get them up and moving around as soon as you can. You want to protect the whole bone. Um, you, the, the kind of the, the rule as far as life expectancy, they're going to live six weeks. You should fix them. Well, you know, my saying is if I could predict the future, I'd live in Las Vegas, right? I, I wouldn't live in Richmond, Virginia. So it's hard to predict these things and you want to keep people comfortable. And I can tell you that woman who came in with the trachea on the other side of her neck, I did nail her humerus and she died like a week later. So then you feel bad, right? You put her through a surgery and it probably wasn't worth it. When you have uh, lesions around the femoral neck, you, you may not want to nail those. You may just want to go ahead and do a total hip or a bipolar. Give them something that's cemented in place they can walk on right away. You can't count on healing of this bone. Even if you think it's radiosensitive and it's myeloma and we radiate it's going to heal, you can't count on that. So you, you try to want to do things that are durable, that allow for immediate weight bearing, and um, because you don't know how long these patients are going to live and you can't count on healing bones. So again, it's a hard question to answer black and white. Um, and some of it's experience and some of it's really a, a gut feeling you may have on some patients. 
but those are kind of some of the rules we try to abide by when we're making these decisions. Mm. I get it. I, well, I understand. And another question I have, if, you know, before we finish up here in the next couple of minutes, if you could give an overview as to, you know, when we would use different type of procedures, such as, you know, wide excisions versus a radical excision, you know, versus just some intralesional curatage and just some like examples of, of when we do it and like what they are. So again, that's a whole nother lecture, which I'm happy to do anytime you want. But for sure. metastatic disease, we're not talking about margins very much, right? The cat is out of the bag. Right. So if you want to, we can talk, I'll give you a quick margin lecture. Sure. All right. When we talk about margins, for primary malignant tumors, when we talk about margins for primary malignant tumors, um, we have to go back to how we talk about tumors. Tumors have a reactive zone around them, meaning there's an area of tissue that is abnormal that reacts to the tumor, and tumor cells live in that area, okay? So when we're taking out a tumor, whether it be bone or soft tissue, if it's intralesional, you're inside the tumor, like you would for a giant cell tumor, right? You're scraping it out. It's curatage. You're actually inside the tumor. If it's a marginal margin, then you're in the reactive zone. So you've shelled the tumor out. You've gotten the whole tumor out, but you didn't get the reactive zone out. And so theoretically, you've left cells in there that can return. A wide margin is you've taken the tumor, the reactive zone, and a cuff of normal tissue, okay? And that's a radical, sorry, that's a wide margin, and that's going to decrease our risk of local recurrence. A radical margin is taking the entire compartment. Mm -hmm. And that's like an amputation or doing a, doing a big whack on somebody. But what I ask the residents is, so what is a positive margin and what's a clean margin or a clear margin? We didn't talk about either one of those things, and that has something that's to something totally different. So when we take a tumor out, whether it be bone or soft tissue, we bring it to pathology, the first thing they do is paint the tumor. They have this little set of little bottles of ink, and they may be orange and green and blue and black and red, and they paint the specimen. And orange may be medial and black may be anterior, et cetera, et cetera. And then they cut the specimen up and check their margin. And if there's ink on the tumor, okay, so you have a positive margin, when they look at it under the microscope and there's tumor cells and they see orange ink on it, that's a positive margin. Mm. A clear margin is when there's no ink on the tumor. And that could be ink that's two millimeters away from the tumor or one millimeter away, and you're definitely in the reactive zone. So. That's the way we talk about margins. We have this way where we want a wide margin. We want a cuff of normal tissue. But more than that, we also want a clear margin or a negative margin where there's no ink on the tumor. Okay. So whenever we do a soft tissue resection, I want to get a wide margin. But if the soft tissue tumor is huge and it's up against the sciatic nerve and it's also up against the femoral artery, which it seems like every soft tissue sarcoma that I see is, they're gigantic, they're the size of a rugby ball. I'm not going to have a wide margin around the, the nerve and the vessel because we're saving the leg. What we want there is a clean margin. I mean, there's no ink on the tumor, and we may have a couple millimeters away. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? This is this is really good. There's so much of the uh, the 
oncology that, you know, we just don't get to see as much as, I know for me, at least as a resident, is just something that we're not exposed to as much. And this has been a really great talk. And like you say, I think we we probably will have you come back to the show because I'm, I'm really enjoying this, actually. This has been really good. I want to really just thank you for making some time to come on and, uh, you know, go through some of these basic basic pr- principles with us. Really appreciate that. That's my pleasure. I can do this all night long. <laughs> and actually, you know, before we go, we tend to like to have let our guests, you know, put out their whether it's, it's their social media or their email address, but whatever kind of way our listeners could reach out to you if they had some questions or just wanted to talk to you about something like that. Is there a way? Is there anything that you you would like to, for our listeners to know so that they can reach you? Yeah, the easiest way is just Gregory Domson at vcuhealth.org. That's my that's my Virginia Commonwealth University health system email, and, and I always will respond to that. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nailed It Orthopedic Podcast. This was a great episode talking about kind of the overview of how to work a politic lesion with Dr. Thompson. I hope you all really enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making this episode. Now, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Nailed It ortho.com and as always you can shield up you can go to nailed it ortho.com for show notes and until next time